singing that song. We sang it last night at the youth rally. Um, and, and can I just remind you of some of the words to that song? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? What are we talking about here? Well, the songwriter goes on to say, the God of ages stepped down from glory. Why did he do that? To wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. The cross on which Jesus, the Son of God, hung. The cross has spoken. What a great reminder of all that God has done for us. But if it were just the cross we'd have no reason to rejoice. There's that next verse that says, then came the morning. What morning? The morning of the resurrection. The morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion, and that's who our Savior is. He's the roaring lion. The roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. To God be the glory, great things he has done. What an amazing God we serve. What an amazing God who has called us to be part of his family. This morning we want to thank God for that very promise that he has made to us of everlasting life through his son Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, your copy of the scriptures, if you would, and open them to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we are again this morning. Um, You might remember we started off our series in 1 Peter by talking about um, a doctrine that some people are a little bit timid to talk about, sometimes a little bit afraid to talk about, and that's the doctrine of election. We, we didn't start there because it's Pastor Tim's favorite subject, although I like the subject. Uh, we didn't start there because Pastor was looking for a fight. You, you know, sometimes you pick a, a controversial topic because you want to just talk about it and see what kind of response you get. That's, that's why talk radio is so popular these days, all right? Um, we didn't start there because it's fun to talk about because in reality, the doctrine of election is not necessarily a fun topic. Um, But it's a topic that is in the pages of Scripture, so for us to intentionally avoid it is wrong. We're supposed to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. So, election is where we started because the Holy Spirit impressed upon Peter's heart the important truth found in the pages of Scripture. It's not just here that Peter says, well, I've got this new thing I want to talk about. I want to, pre- I want to write a book that starts off talking about election. Election has been part of God's Word since way back in the very beginning. I mean, God chose He chose Abraham out of a a whole host of people that he could have chosen. Why did he choose Abraham? Because nobody was seeking after God. So God chose Abraham. And, And then God chose Jacob. Well, why did God choose Jacob? Well, because out of two, Abraham's two sons who God promised, um, Jacob and Isaac were the descendants, the ones that were available. Neither one of them were seeking after God, so God chose Jacob. 
In fact, he's chosen before the foundation of the world, so it wasn't based on any merit of anybody. Abraham wasn't a good guy. He was an idol worshiper. In Ur of the Chaldees, he was looking out for Abraham. He didn't really have any concern about what God was doing in the world around him. Neither did Jacob. Jacob was a conniving thief. He was a deceiver. But God chose him. And the amazing thing about God choosing people is he changes their lives. He gives them, as, as Doug was saying, a testimony. Uh, he talks, you know, there's lots of songs on the radio today that talk about the scars and the stories that we as believers have to tell because God broke into our world and changed our lives. So we're starting here with the idea of election because that's what Peter's readers needed to hear and it was impressed upon his heart through the Holy Spirit to talk about this important truth that is embedded throughout the pages of Scripture. We mentioned last Sunday that election is a great is a truth that brings great joy to the heart of the child of God. Or at least it should bring great joy to our hearts. To think that you and I... And I guess I'll speak for you as well as myself. We were dirty, rotten, wretched, no good for nothing people that God decided to save. He didn't decide to save us because he saw something good in us or because he knew that we would respond positively to the gospel message. He saved us. He chose us to demonstrate his grace and mercy to us. What an amazing God. What great joy that brings to our hearts. Last week, we looked at verses 3 through 9. We spent quite a bit of time in verses 3 through 5. And then we just kind of brushed over, touched on lightly, verses 6 through 9. I told you this morning, that I told you last week, that this week we would, we would get back into that passage of Scripture and dig more deeply into verses 6 through 9. So that's what we're going to do. I'm keeping my promise to you this morning uh, as we jump back in here to 1 Peter chapter 1 and do justice, we hope, to the rest of the verses in this second paragraph of the book of First Peter. Um, I wanted to give it fair treatment because there is so much amazing stuff in this passage. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read together First Peter chapter 1, verses, I think I might have put the whole passage 3 through 9 up there on the screen. Yes, I did. Okay, so read from the screen with me, if you would, please, and give it some emotion, give it some excitement, give it some enthusiasm. Read it like you mean it, and you're thankful for what God wrote through the pen of the Apostle Peter. Let's go together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ 
whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. What an amazing passage of Scripture to think about and to study together this morning. It's all about the fact that you chose us to be the recipients of your grace and mercy and grant to us salvation that delivers us from an eternity in hell into the very presence of, your, of you. Uh, wow, how amazing that is. And so, Father, we say thank you for that. We, th- we say thank you for uh, your plan to incorporate us into your family. Not because of anything we did, not because of something that we deserved or earned, but strictly out of your grace and your mercy, you have made us part of your family. And again, to you, we say, to God be the glory, because you do great things in our lives. We ask that you'll bless our time together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. So like I said, we're picking this up kind of in the middle of what we started last week. On your note page, um, I didn't put the, the main point there, but it is up on the screen. The, we're in the section where we're talking about the argument for blessing our God. Or in other words, why should you and I bless our God? Can we even do that as humans? What do we have to offer God that is a blessing to him? Well, we offer to him that which we, we should offer to him. According to Paul in Romans chapter 12, we offer to him our bodies. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. Paul's not asking, and Peter's not telling us here in First Peter, neither one are saying, hey, this is something that's uncommon, this is something unreal. Uh, this is very reasonable for us to do. Because of all that God has done for us, we should offer to him our, our bodies in service to him. When we do that, that is indeed a blessing to our great God. So the argument for our blessing is we We love God, we appreciate all that he's done for us, and the rejoicing that is ours because of his work in our lives is one of the reasons that we want to bless our great God. Uh, Taking that to the next step we see in letter C on your note page is the fact of abundant rejoicing. Abundant rejoicing. We talked briefly about it last week, but in verse six, Paul gives us the reason for our rejoicing. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. See that word greatly there? You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you're grieved by various trials. In this verse here, verse six, we see the foundation for our rejoicing. In this you rejoice. What's the foundation? What is Peter thinking about when he says, in this? Well, the in this that he's talking about, there, there could be several things that's, that is on Peter's mind when he writes that. Um, the, in the, this could be the last phrase of the previous verse, verse five, where it says, for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, all of us are rejoicing or could rejoice or should rejoice because of this amazing salvation that God has given to us that will be revealed or completed in the last time. 
Or we could trace it back a little bit further, all the way back to verse 3, where Peter talks about uh, being born again to a living hope. We sang about that this morning, the living hope that is ours. The living hope is because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. He's not hanging on a cross. That's why our cross up here is empty. He's not in a tomb somewhere. That's why we like to have pictures at Easter time of the empty grave with the stone rolled away because Jesus is not in that grave anymore. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He is our living hope. We like to sing another song that hope has a name. What's his name? His name is Jesus. And Jesus is very much alive even though he hung on a cross and he literally died He's not dead anymore. He's living. So it could be the fact that Peter's talking about our living hope that we should rejoice in. Or we could go all the way back to the opening verse where he calls his readers the elect exiles of dispersion. Those who have been chosen by God who are being persecuted and have been scattered abroad. Well, Let me tell you the good news here. There's no need to argue about which one of those we should choose, okay? Because when it's all boiled down, they're all related. In fact, it's almost the thing where one truth builds upon the other truth. You can't have one without the other. It all starts with election, and that election took place in eternity past. God in eternity past looked down through the corridors of time and he chose some from among condemned sinners to be the recipients of his grace and his mercy and everlasting life. That's where it starts. And then it moves on. We move from this fact that we have been elected, that we've been chosen to the fact that Jesus died in our place. He didn't just die in our place, though. He rose again, providing for us the first fruits, if you will. If Jesus had never risen from the dead, guess what? We would be subject to death. We'd never be able to rise again. But because he rose from the dead and gave us this living hope, we too have the hope that if we die before the rapture happens, we will be resurrected. We will be brought back to life and we will be caught up, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, in the sky, in the air, to meet Jesus in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, it goes on. Because he called us and saved us, he's going to keep us and bring our salvation to completion in the last time. You see, the foundation for our rejoicing then is the fact that we have been the recipients of God's great grace, his mercy, and his love, and and all of those things have placed us into the family of God, saving us from an eternity in hell. Wow, we're going to heaven, my friends. And nothing and nobody can stop that from happening. We rejoice, as we have said many times before, because we know where we're going. Yes, we have trials. Yes, we have struggles. Yes, we have difficulties in this life. But none of those things should stop us from rejoicing. And in fact, Peter says, from greatly rejoicing because we know that all of the things that we face in the here and now are temporary and when we get to our heavenly home, we'll no longer remember them. Don't you love that verse that says Jesus will wipe away all of our tears? They'll all be gone. 
All the sorrow we had in this life will be no more. <coughs> and can I add this to the, to the very end of the idea of foundation? Nothing can rock our foundation. Nothing can shake this foundation on which our hope is built. We think about lots of things like, like earthquakes, They rock the foundation. And if your foundation is knocked off course, what happens? The building has to be torn down and rebuilt. Can can you agree with me that we have great joy and hope and that nothing can rock our foundation? Nothing can cause us to have to start over again on the spiritual journey because we have everlasting life. Nothing can take that away from us. Another great passage of scripture in the Gospels is when Jesus is explaining how you and I are placed into his hands and then his father takes his hands and puts them over top of us and then he says, no man can pluck them out of my father's hands. We are secure and our foundation cannot be rocked. That's why we rejoice. That's why our rejoicing is great. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the facts of our, found, of our rejoicing that Peter talks about here in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is another example of the Bible being realistic and practical. Nobody can ever say that God's word is impractical and it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It makes complete sense to the child of God. Peter has laid the foundation for our rejoicing, but it's almost as though he can hear his readers questioning him or saying to him, yeah, but Peter, you don't know where I am in my life right now. Peter, you don't understand. Peter, my life has been rocked. And I don't know how all of this talk about Jesus and his hope and his goodness and his mercy can help me get past my broken world. My world is in shambles, Peter. I don't know that you understand that. Peter, if you knew where I was at this point in my life, you probably wouldn't say those things. But he says, in this, we greatly rejoice. So here's the first fact. You and I greatly rejoice. He talks about, well, shall we say, the depth of our rejoicing. The phrase greatly rejoice means that we exert some energy in our rejoicing. A literal translation of this phrase would be that we are exuberantly glad. We sing that song around here mostly at night, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. No matter what's going on in your life, you and I, as children of God, have the opportunity to be glad. So just to be sure we all understand the extent of our joy, that word exuberant means lavishly abundant. Okay? Almost has the idea of overflowing. Can't get an, or you, can't, you can't run out of what you have. I got to tell you, um, I went into Aldi a couple weeks ago, and there was this uh, display of sparkling cider. And I thought, I should get some of that and see if it's like, because there's this, this drink in South Africa that we really liked that was called Appletizer. Okay, it was a sparkling uh, uh, apple juice, and it was, you know, it's what we drank uh, sometimes. We had a special event, we'd get Appletizer and Grapetizer, uh, and we would enjoy it. So I bet you that's a lot like appetizer. 
but I was in a hurry and I didn't grab a, a pa- package of it or a case of it. And, and I went through the checkout and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and get some a couple days later. It was gone. And then I went to my son's house and what did he have in his refrigerator? The sparkling apple cider. And I thought, well, he was smart or Katie was smart and they picked it up. And I thought, eh, I guess I can live without it. And then a couple of days later, Micah comes home from Josh and Katie's house, and he has a bottle of this sparkling cider that he took from their house and drank it and enjoyed it. And I thought, man, now I really want it. Even though I can't have it, I really want it. So I began to embark on a journey. Okay? I had to go up. I, as, as you know, my mom was in the hospital in Syracuse, and there's a lot of Aldi's in Syracuse. So I checked out a couple of them. None of them had it. The thing is about Aldi's, if it's their hidden finds, you better get it when you see it because if you don't, you won't, you, there's a good chance you won't get it again. So as we were driving up to Messina, I stopped at another Aldi and looked and no, no sparkling cider. I got to Messina though and I had to go get some stuff from my mom and guess what they had at the Aldi in Messina? The sparkling cider. So I bought two bottles of it. So the idea here is that we are not going to run out of it like Aldi often runs out of stuff. Ollie's is the same way. In fact, it says, you better get it. Don't wait because it might not be here the next time you come back. But that's the great thing about God's, God's love and his, his provision for us. The joy that we have will never, ever run out. It will always be available. Every time we go back to it, it's there waiting for us. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, a commentator from the late 1800s, describes this greatly rejoicing this way. He says, we exalt with joy. To exalt is to show or feel a lively or triumphant joy. A lively or a triumphant joy. And you know what? That joy should be reflected in our lives as believers, as those who know Jesus. We shouldn't walk around with a sour look on our face. We shouldn't walk around depressed and discouraged all the time. We have a joy that comes from within, that flows out of us because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So when Peter says we greatly rejoice, we get the idea that this great joy is joy that is abounding, joy that impacts all of our life. Much of our life should be characterized by this amazing, wonderful joy that is ours. Peter goes on in his reality, though, and he talks about grievous trials. Because he knows that you and I and everybody who reads his words will face or have faced or maybe even right now are facing grievous trials. In reality, many of those who are followers of Jesus face the difficulties of life. I got a call this week, or actually Barb got a call this week, from someone who was in a grievous trial, okay? And their their opening words on the phone was, I I just, I'm so happy, I just want to share the good news with people who have been praying for me. I've got to share the results of my test. They're negative. Hallelujah. There was, there was a grievous trial. 
But God delivered from that grievous trials. Trials are a reality of life. Sometimes the trials we face weigh us down. But here's the great truth available to us as followers of Jesus. We can take all of our trials to the Lord in prayer. We can even ask our friends to take our trials to the Lord in prayer. And in fact, let me say, we should ask our friends to take our trials with us to the Lord in prayer. We have a prayer chain, and and oftentimes people will call or text or say, hey, pastor, can you put this on the prayer chain? Pastor, this is going on in my life. This is going on in somebody that I love's life. This is happening in our world. Can you share this with our church family? And so I put it out on the prayer chain, and it's a. I'm, I'm encouraged every time because I often get back responses from somebody saying, hey, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for so-and-so, you know, keep us updated on what's happening, what's going on. You and I, we have the privilege of taking these trials to our great God in prayer and leaving leaving them there with him and letting him deal with them as he will and as he chooses because he will always do what is right for us. So the idea of trials here, though, what is Peter talking about when he says we have trials? Well, we have testings of our faith. That's really what the word means. In other words, we could ask this question, or the the question that trials presents to us is, how much do I believe that God is able to do what he says he will do? We say that, right? That's our definition for faith, believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. So when a trial comes, it begs the question, how much am I trusting that God is able to do what he says he will do? I remember when I was growing up, we had this, this game. It's called Don't Break the Ice. Anybody remember that game? I don't know if it's still around, Okay. But you had, you had this little square that had ice, kind of plastic stuff that looked like ice, and it was all situated inside the square, and you had a hammer, and it was, when it was your turn, you had to knock out a piece of the ice. And the more ice that got knocked away, the more likely it was that you would break all the ice away with your hit, okay? Whoever broke out all the ice lost the game. There was another game a lot like it, Don't Spill the Beans. You ever play that one? A bean pots kind of set on a on a on two points where it would pivot, it would rock back and forth, and you had to. I think you spun a dial or you rolled a dice, and you had to determine how many beans you had to put on the bean pot. And if you put the bean on the bean pot that made the bean pot tip over, guess what? You lost. I don't know why they play that games anymore because people aren't supposed to lose today, right? Um, but anyway, um, don't break the ice. Don't spill the beans. That's kind of like this idea of our trials and our testings. How far is it? You've all heard that saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. How strong is our faith? How much do we really believe that God is able to do what he says he will do in the pages of scripture? That's what these trials do. They test us. They prove us, if you will. They put us in the fire. It's kind of like gold. In fact, Peter uses that illustration here. Our, our, our faith is tested by trials like gold is tested by the fiery furnace. You are a prospector. You go out and you find a nice big chunk of gold. Is that gold really worth all the size of that chunk of gold that you find? No, you won't know how much it's worth until you melt it down and you remove all the impurities. And then you weigh it and put it on the scale and find out really what the value of that gold is. 
We find out what the value of our faith is when we are in the trials and we respond as God would have us to respond. The trying of our faith. Our hope, my friends, is fixed on the promise that God has given us. There in that promise, the promise of everlasting life, that he is taking us to heaven, we'll spend all of eternity there with him, Our hope is fixed on that promise. Therein, we find hope and we find strength. So as we move on from this idea of the facts around our rejoicing, let's talk for a a few minutes about this idea of faith. Faith is required for rejoicing. Faith is required for our rejoicing. Peter says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not know him, Though you do not now see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I've already reminded you what our definition for faith here is at Calvary Baptist Church. Anybody want to say it again for me? I, I always like to take the opportunity to see who can quote that definition of faith. Anybody brave enough to say, I've got it, I want to share the definition of faith. I know I have one Actually, two in the, in the congregation that always bail me out. Who's got it? Uh, my wife has it, I know. She's been listening to it for 30 years now. Um, Mark's got it because he's, he's the one who always bails me out. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, that's faith. You see, our faith has a resting place. Our faith is founded in what? It's founded in what God says. And where do we find what God says? We find it in the pages of Scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so when we think about this idea of faith, you and I understand that faith, Faith is, re- is required for rejoicing. If we want to rejoice, we have to believe that God and his word is what I base my life upon. Let's see what Peter says here. He talks about faith's outcome. He says, whom having not seen, you love. Remember the words of Jesus to Thomas after his resurrection? When all the disciples, except for Thomas, were gathered in the upper room, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus appears in the upper room, didn't use the doors, didn't crawl through a window. He just, boom, he was there. And the disciples were amazed. They were so thankful. They saw the risen Lord and they worshiped him. And and then Jesus went away. And then Peter, or then Thomas comes into the room. Man, you missed it. Jesus was here. We saw him. Yeah, right. Thomas was like, eh. I'm not going to believe, not unless I can touch the holes in his hand and put my hand in the side where the spear was. I just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to believe. You guys, you're psyched out. You you saw something, you don't know what it was. I don't believe you. Eight days later, they're all together in the room. And guess what? Jesus appears again. Thomas is there. And Thomas is like, oh, it's really you. And Jesus says, come, put your, put your fingers in the hole. That's ah, okay, I'm good. No, 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 put your fingers in the hole. Put your hand in my side. And, and Thomas says, I believe. 
And Jesus says, you believe because you saw. You believe because you touched the nail prints and the spear print. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. You see, you and I have not seen the nails. You and I have not seen the the hole in his side. We believe it by faith because God says so. Faith, whom having not seen, you love. That's part of our faith. We haven't seen him, but we love him. Why do we love him? Because we've seen the impact of his life on our lives. His life has changed us. His life has made us do life differently from everybody else, those who don't know him. We've not seen him, but we love him. We love him because he saved us. He made us new. We also see faith's outlook here. Though, you, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice Why can we rejoice? We can rejoice because of our faith in God. We rejoice because of what God has done and we realize that no matter what, no matter what trials we face in this life, we still can rejoice. Peter even hints at the fact that those trials have a purpose. And he agrees with Paul In Romans 8, when Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know that God has a purpose for everything that he allows to come into our life or that he even brings into our lives directly. What's the purpose? To make us more like Jesus. To make us more like our Savior. That's the purpose. That's the outlook that's the outcome. You know, we live in a world now that talks, they always talk about outcomes-based education. It's led to a lot of silly things coming from the mouths of teachers. Like, how do you get two plus two is four? Well, you got to do this, 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 this. No, you just know it. It's a fact. Our faith, the outcome of our faith is rejoicing because we know that God has promised us everlasting life. So that takes us to our next part uh, here where we see the full achievement of our faith in verse nine. The full achievement of our faith. Peter says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Woo! The salvation of our souls. When we think about our salvation, sometimes we don't always think of it in the terms of a finished product. Part of that is probably because we know who we are. We know ourselves. We know the struggles that we have with life. We know that we fail. We know that we have shortcomings. We know that we have limitations. We know if we're honest with ourselves, we let God down, at least in our minds, in that particular area. I could have done better. And so we often see our faith not as complete. But you know what? God sees our faith as complete. God sees it as a finished product. When God looks at you and me, he looks at us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he only sees us as the completed, perfect project. Peter says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I like the way the Bible Knowledge Commentary explains this verse. It says this, Believers can rejoice because they are, and that's present tense here in the, in the writing of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. They are, 
receiving what was promised. And what was promised? Our salvation, which is the culmination of our faith. Our salvation is finished. It was finished when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. The moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because of the work on the cross of Calvary, our faith is complete. If we die at that very moment, we go to heaven. There's nothing else required except for the work of Christ on the cross. Bible Knowledge Commentary goes on to say, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, salvation is past. He's given us the new birth. It's present through faith. We are shielded by God's power and its future. Why? Because of the inheritance that we will get, which will be revealed at the last time. Our our future inheritance is in a place called heaven. Aren't you glad? Somebody said to me this morning, Pastor, you look like you're limping. Yeah, a little bit. It's just part of getting old. Der, older. Um, so as we get older, we kind of see and feel the, the effects of our sin-plagued bodies. It's harder to get up in the morning sometimes because you roll over. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, this hurts and that hurts. Our future inheritance isn't in this world. Our future inheritance is in heaven with God, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if we'll sleep, but I do know that if we do, we won't wake up with any aches and pains. We won't be missing. We won't be lacking. We won't be short of anything. Last week, I mentioned that this is going to be a glorious day, this idea of the completion of our faith. Remember what Paul wrote over in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6? I'm sorry, Paul wrote over in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this one thing. In other words, Paul says, if there's nothing else in this life that I'm confident about, I'm confident about this. Well, what is it, Paul? What are you, what are you so confident about? I'm confident about this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, salvation, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to keep saving us. He's going to keep making us understand that our salvation is real day after day after day after day until we see Jesus face to face. And then we'll be like him and we'll know about our salvation and that it will be complete. Hallelujah. Our salvation will be revealed to us in the last days. Peter says you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Not that our salvation is not complete, but we will see it complete. We will know it's complete. And here for all of you people that like the emotions of it, you'll feel it's complete. You won't ever doubt it again. You will know beyond any doubt that your salvation is true, it's real, it's complete. So, you see, we've been talking about this abundant rejoicing because of the completion of our faith. We can absolutely be certain of these things. Why? Because our calling and our election is sure. So as we wrap this up this morning, we can be reminded of the truth of the election, of the truth about this doctrine of election. 
that it causes us to greatly rejoice, to abundantly rejoice. We don't have to fear. We don't have to uh, think of this idea of election as something, oh, let's not talk about that because some people don't agree and some people don't like it. And some No, let's talk about it because it brings us great hope, it brings us great joy, and it's, it's really the basis of our everlasting living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We have hope. We have great hope, and and we know that someday that hope will not just be something that we're looking forward to, but it will fully be realized when we see Jesus face to face. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning. Wow, your word is amazing.